Thank you all for coming. I appreciate it so much. Um, I've been to this church a few times, so my ties at Grand Rapids are, are deep. I feel, especially at Crossroads, I, uh, uh, I was an, a, a women's ministry director at a Chicago megachurch for three years back in 2010 through 13. And uh, during that time and prior to then and since then, I, I practice medicine. I, uh, my, my background is in pediatric ER, and then I, the last couple of years, I've been doing telemedicine. But uh, when I first started coming to Crossroads, it was a time of transition in my life, and I left um, at the time my church, and so I was sort of, you know, trying to gra you know, grapple with that, and many of you right now are leaders in your churches, so you get a lot of people who've been in other churches, and some of you have had transitions, and so, you know, it was a hard time in my life, and it was around then that I had been invited to do a retreat for Crossroads, and that was about six years ago, and we had a great time, and then I uh, became friends with people there, and so a few months after that, out of the blue, Libby, I don't know if you guys know Libby, Rod's wife over there, she loves attention, so I'll just sort of <laughs> point her out over there, and so she emailed me, and I Honestly, I, I don't even know, I, I don't even think we had met that much. I, I really, I mean, I know I'm charming. I mean, you know, she sends me a stalker note and, and but you know, out of the blue, like I get this email from me, she invites me to go to Jordan with them. And so for a week, and they were having this vision trip from uh, here that we're going to do work in Jordan. And I bring it up only because that ended up changing my life the past five years, six years. So it was on that trip that I met Rosa. And so we, I mean, we were just sitting here sort of reminiscing. And so this half of the room, we were friends before Irina, I didn't know at the time. But like we had such a good trip and it really was a sort of watershed moment for my ministry because up until that point, like life and ministry to me was women's ministry. I grew up in a very sort of conservative type church, which basically in these days means that, you know, we didn't believe women could preach. And so I, I, I among other things, but I mean, I, I'm so old. We were still on the KJV only, you know, sort of background. And then we moved from that and then they had praise and worship songs and, you know, and on and on. But the church has sort of had its movements but I, um, I remember just um, having such a great time there. But, but up until then, I thought, if you didn't do women's ministry, I wasn't sure what else you could do in the church. And so my heart was in women's ministry. God called me to teach the Bible out of women's ministry. And I really still primarily, I think, most of the audience that I minister to is women. I mean, I, I do. So in the last few years, I've written about singleness. And I am single. And uh, you, my, my mom was hoping some guy sometime would send me a stalker letter and get married. But I guess that's what, that's what I, and I'm like, Mama, you, I don't think you want me to marry a stalker. She's like, no, at this point, I don't care. But no, nah, she's, she's okay with it. She's adjusted. I've given her a long time to adjust. So anyway, I, uh, but it was that year that I started thinking about what else I could do to serve the Lord. And so I ended up um, uh, just really developing this sort of kindred soulmates, I would say, John and Rosa. And we ended up about uh, a year later, maybe it was not that much later. I went to, to Lebanon and built some relationships there. And the refugee crisis was growing and basically ended up uh, getting, you know, knee deep into the refugee crisis uh, work and specifically Syrian refugees in Lebanon. So for the past three and a half years now, we've, in fact, Rosa was supposed to be there today, but there's some riots and political instability in Lebanon. So they postponed that trip and I had planned on being here. And so they, we have been like, I think 10 mission trips so far, medical mission trips where we do clinics for dentistry and for medicine. And then our work has also grown to include humanitarian work. We do a lot of different things that you can find out about if you try to you know, Google my name, which pretty much means that nobody will because none of you can spell my name, let alone say it. But uh, Abby Jammin, I think that would get you close enough. I'm always like, just put a bunch of consonants and vowels and Lena and it'll show up. Like there aren't, 
that many people doing Syrian refugee work with my name. So anyway, so it's awesome to be here. But, you know, anytime you end up coming to speak to leaders, you sort of think about what you, what you might say, how God might use you. And, and, and I... I I think there's some elements where you think, well, could you, you could do something constructive or, you know, there's so many issues right now, especially 2019, like we are in, I mean, talk about being knee deep in anything. I mean, we are really in it now in terms of trying to navigate the cultural dynamics between uh, really the intergenerational dynamic in our culture, I guess I should say, and sort of some of those flare up issues. I mentioned, you know, woman in leadership, that's become an issue of interest in any background church, whether you're very conservative in your background or not. And so, there's just a lot that one could talk about. And I honestly, like, I, we can talk about that. I think if I, I talk fast, if I talk really fast, then maybe we'd have time for a Q&A at the end, which would be good. Uh, but I do spend a lot of time going around to churches and, and, and thinking through uh, ministry. I basically uh, am a tent maker in medicine, but really primarily feel called to, to teach the Bible and now, of course, do the work. And in, in really, we're about hope. And, and I believe hope is in God's word and hope is in spreading it through the love of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And that includes the overflow of what we're doing, which is the ministry in the Middle East. But really, uh, the hope that we have is in Christ and where we know him is in his word. And so as I'm thinking about these things and how God might use me here today, I, um, I've been observing... You know, it's funny, I, I just, I watch social media a lot. I engage a bit, but I watch a lot. And I always sort of feel like I know what's going on. Some of it is because I'm single. And I think single people have a lot of time. You all have husbands and kids to tend to, and I don't. And so I, I get a lot of time where I'm just watching the phone. And um, I mean, pretty much like, I think you could survive on an island now with your phone. I really do. I think you could somehow make it work for the next 50 yours. I don't know how. You're like, well, how, what would you eat? I don't know, but I would Google it. Like, it would work out. I'm convinced. I have two phones, so imagine. Like, I would be like that, like, top, like, I'd be the winner on that island. I just know the phone. Anyway, so I'm not bragging about it. I'm just saying I've had an opportunity to step back and sort of watch so many of those trends. And, and one trend I see is that our leaders in the church are suffering. I, 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 deeply. And we see it play out in a number of ways. We see it play out in, of course, the high rate of depression and anxiety and suicide, some very high profile suicides lately. Uh, but also we see it play out in sexual sin and habits that you can't believe. You read stories and some stories you don't read about because they're too shameful to write about. By God's grace, God is protecting the church and you hear about and then you can't even wrap your mind around. And those are all people, many of whom, the longer you're in ministry, the more, you know, uh, personally or you know of people who know them personally and so uh, I have become convinced that we have a leadership problem in the church I, I really do I, I believe that is part of the problem that we're seeing ex expand in the church and 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 and, and many and other side of it by the way is just doctrinal inerrancies and and or, or errancies not inerrancies but errancies and we see that play out in a number of different issues and 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 there's just a problem and it's convicting to me before, it's, I'm not here to, to point fingers. My take home usually when I read those is, it could be me. And, and the busier I get in life and ministry, the more I see where those holes and cracks could begin. I've seen them in my life. God in his grace does not allow us to walk. It's like a frozen lake y'all understand these analogies here I stepped on the balcony I stepped on a balcony at the embassy suites a new hotel yesterday I almost had to sue them there was 
there was a sheet of ice on the balcony. I almost slipped. And I'm from Wisconsin. Like, I got this thing down, right? You guys are like, you don't sound like you're from Wisconsin. <laughs> you guys, I am. <laughs> uh, I'm a big Packers fan. But anyway, I, uh, I, so that, that's enough to prove I'm from Wisconsin. Go back. Go, someone over there. All right. But, 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 I'm, but uh, you know, you start seeing those cracks, and if you're not careful, the thing could, you could sink. And you know, you don't walk on a frozen uh, river or pond or whatever it is, unless you're sure it's frozen, because you know you could end up falling in. And so I see in my own life some of those cracks. And, 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 and again, God and His grace, I think especially in the last year or two, has, has taken His finger and pointed on those cracks. And, 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 and I think what I'd like to do this morning is sort of go through a story uh, of Elijah, not, not because he was depressed and, and, and went into uh, a, a really just this, this bottomless pit of, of agony and depression until God got him out. Not because of that, but because you see certain patterns in 1 Kings 19 that I believe are very instructive for us, not just instructive, but convicting that might make us stop and say, okay, here's some lessons that I've learned. And I hope to share them with you this morning and just allow God and His Spirit to move in your hearts to, uh, to perhaps consider uh, where you are in the spectrum of the life of Elijah and, and your Christian life. And Elijah, remember, uh, as we get into this, I'm going to ask the Lord here to just bless this time. In fact, God, we just ask you now, we recognize that you're here. Lord, we know that you're everywhere, but you're here in us and you're here with us. And God, we just um, need you so so much God we don't say this because we're trying to impress you but because we're so aware of our need God what baffles us is that you still love us and you still work with us and you still grow us and you still change us and even more magnificently that you still use us and God I think of how many of us here have stepped into moments of teaching where we just know ourselves and we know that were it not for your grace and your son, oh God, we just, we would have no hope. And so Lord, I pray this morning that you would bring healing here. Oh God, just even watching the magnitude of hurt in the church in the United States, Lord, I just ask that you would bring healing to women here, not as something they can take back to their woman, but for them, for every woman here, that your spirit would fall fresh on her. God, tonight we'll be moving into a time of revival and praying and seeking that for the women in the churches that are represented here. But for now, God, in this hour, I pray for the leaders here, Father. So much of what happens in our churches starts here in moments like this where, where we make commitments and resolves and where we are able to look before you. And, and God, with, with, with fear and trembling, we ask you humbly to show us our hearts and to show us where we need to change. And Lord, uh, to change the patterns that are bringing us destruction. And so God, please do that in our life today. We thank you for this living word of God. We thank you, God, that even now as we open it and look at your word, God, so many times I've spent in this chapter and yet again and again, you astound me um, with freshness and with vision and with um, conviction and ultimately with a hunger to know Jesus. And so Father, we thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Amen. So five lessons I have learned as a woman's ministry leader and I just want to read you a little bit of the story and just go through these five principles and then by God's grace we'll have a little bit of time for Q&A if you're into that uh, you can jot down something but read uh, with me if you've got your Bibles in 1st Kings 19 and uh, you're I'm sure you're very familiar with this story. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servants there. Before we go on any further I'll give you a little summary this all that had happened. First of all Ahab and Jezebel you know the most wicked king and queen of ever in Israel. The Bible uh, says that uh, earlier or later in, in, in the Kings and God makes a point of reminding us of that in his word and so we know they're wicked and leading up to that a lot of amazing things had happened uh, but we uh, see that because of what God was doing in the hearts of the people through Elijah there was a tremendous amount of anger in Jezebel in particular and it's funny I taught on this I now that triggered my memory. Tina you were there and Irina. I taught on this passage once a few years ago in Chicago and and I was like trying to make a point of how you know evil Jezebel was <laughs> remember that and I was like like who names their daughter Jezebel like everybody knows like like you know I picture like the Smurfs wasn't there like Isabel or something you know and I like went on and on about and at the end of the service it was an, honestly an anointed time it was so good but leaders here's a tip like be careful what <laughs> the illustrations you use so the thing is over and the girl comes up to me at the end gives me a big hug talks about what God did in her life and then she goes and by the way my name is Jezebel <laughs> so so now I no longer use those names although honestly I don't remember meaning an Ahab but I'm sure somebody here is married to an Ahab maybe more figuratively than not but uh, y'all are a good godly couple so I'm sure not in this room sure some of you have been married to Ahabs and and if you've now in a good place and a good season then you yeah, anyway, we'll leave that there. So, so here's, here's lesson number one. So Jezebel is upset. Ahab is upset. And so Jezebel sends a message to Elijah and she says something to him. And here's lesson number one. Not every message you hear is a message to be received. All right, not every message you hear is a message to be received. And, and you'll hear all sorts of weird things as a woman's ministry director, you know that. Uh, I was not that, I mean, I, I was a little naive when I started my tenure as women's ministry director at the mega church I was in Chicago at the time. And I, I remember like some things would jar me and those are not necessarily bad things, but like I remember the first time someone asked me about um, a small group and again, excuse me, I, I really, like, if you have allergies, I already apologize. But, like, I was a little, like, I didn't understand the question. Even though I'm a physician, she came to me and she wanted a scent-free small group. And I didn't know what that meant. I, I'm, like, scent-free. Like, what do you mean? Like, you, God, here am I, send me. Like, and, and, and she had to, like, explain to me. Now I know there's areas in church that are, like, supposedly scent-free. I don't know if you've ever been, like, you need to move, you smell. Like, like, like there are people who have allergies that can't go to us. And I'm, like, I don't know what people's rooms are like. Like, what am I going to tell the small group leaders? Like, clear your house of sense. So, so, so you'll hear things. You're, like, oh, that's no big deal. You're so, okay, all right. I remember the time after I taught a Bible study and I was, you know, everything was going great. Big room, bigger than this. And a woman comes up to me who had been faithfully coming and 
to the group and she comes to me and looks at me and says, Lena, I would really, and I've been now a women's director for about a year and I can see her face and she comes up to me and goes, I want you to pray about something. I'd like you to start a ministry to, ev to evangelize pets. <laughs> yeah, you heard it. Right, ma'am, I agree. It was like, what? I go, yeah, I mean, I think your dog will be in heaven. Anyway, they're like the kids. Like, I think they just automatically go to heaven. She was like convinced that, I mean, th she did that. Like, she did that, okay? Now, those are messages that are funny. But like, how many of you haven't had, like Elijah, a season of immense fruit? And you know the fruit, you've seen it, you've tasted fire from heaven come down. And then you get a phone call. And you walk into your house or you open your email. You haven't even left the church. You refresh the phone. This isn't something that will happen to you once a year. This is something that might happen every week. I see a pattern that every time God stirs and moves, Satan makes sure that I hear messages. And it's always from the same one or two people in your life. A stranger who wants you to evangelize pets. That's a good illustration to break the ice. But, but a loved one presses into you or maybe not a loved one maybe somebody who is now a stranger or an ex-husband or a child who whatever it is whatever that relationship is maybe it's a boss many of you have regular jobs and you do this on the side you show up the next day you're flying high on all God has done and all of a sudden one word from someone and you forget all of the awesome power of God and you are a trembling mess shaking in a puddle of your own tears unsure where this God was all that God has spoken to you and done in your life forgotten wouldn't you love to see Elijah and just be like that you don't have to listen to her she can threaten but don't you see what God just did I'm walking through that this week this is not foreign material for someone in another country this is here now God will do so much that you'll be just shocked in awe unstoppable you go man how did I ever doubt you God and in the very next breath that email and you're like I'm out and you separate from everybody in your life and you lock yourself in your room and you what in the world have I gotten myself into God just brought stinking fire from heaven. The bells, 450 of them killed. Like, think about what just happened. Couldn't Elijah remember that that same God could blow, not even fire, just a little, you know, have to flick his finger and take her breath away if he so chose. The fear of man brings a snare. We remember it before events. We remember it in the summer as we're heading into the fall and you know it's going to be a tough season. But somehow we have this uncanny ability to forget it when it happens. And here's Elijah, a giant of the faith. Not only fire from heaven, he had seen a man raised from the dead. The more you fear man, the more 
you will care what they think about you. This is the era that we're living in. We tweet something, we post a message, you have an event, you put a picture, a video, and you look. How many people watched it? Who liked it? You could have 560 likes and you look through and all you can think of is that woman that you know at church who questioned when you became a leader, she didn't like it. And all of a sudden you're like, this ain't right. I can't believe it. The church is hurtful and on and on. And you just go down these tailspins of wrong, negative, sinful thinking all because you heed messages that are thrown your way that are not meant to be received. Let them slide off of you. Thick-skinned, soft-hearted. I really believe that's the secret formula. It's not about having hard hearts that are covered with iron and armament to make sure nobody touches your heart no on the contrary Jesus put himself out there always always open to attack but thick-skinned soft-hearted soft-hearted to the Lord thick-skinned so that when something comes your way you just have you ever been outside and a bird poops on you it's happened to me and you get upset for a second and then you change shirts or you just wipe it off right it's not the end of the world. How am I? I'm here talking. I've spittle here. <laughs> Excuse me for, I know, right? Wipe it off. You can't even see it. 90% of the messages that are thrown our way, we can't even see a day later. 10% admittedly are wounds and hurts and difficulties. And maybe that's where Elijah was. But if we could only remember in that moment who our God is that got us here. Now, here's the other thing under that thought before I move to the second thought is this. The more you care about your image, and I would argue, I don't think that Elijah necessarily cared about his image. I think he was purely afraid of the queen. I think he lost focus for a minute. But the more we care about our image, the less we will care about our calling. All right. We see this happen to Elijah. He is called by God. He shows up in 1 Kings 17. He's like no one. And he shows up and he blasts the entire country at the time, the entire world with this information that God has given him. And then he goes and sees God's faithfulness for three years. And then he shows up and he sees God do this amazing work. He is clearly called by God. Clearly. There's no question this man is called by God. One email, it wasn't even a verbal call, it wasn't even a phone call, it was an email. It was like a third party. You ever play telephone? Like I can't, I remember playing it as I was a kid. Imagine playing it in Arabic. Like we can't even understand ourselves in person. And so we would play telephone and it was like fail right here. And like, so he's literally saying, I would have, you, why didn't he even think? Maybe the message was misconstrued. Maybe she didn't mean she was going to kill me. Maybe that was like hyperbole, lost in telephone. But no, he assumes the worst. Now, granted, we know she's the most wicked queen, but we assume the worst always. I'm that person. Like, I get a call, and my first thought is, uh-oh, what did I do now? It's so stupid. What is wrong with us? And then, you know, the person's like, oh, no, I just was going to tell you you did a great job. And you're like, no, really? Why did you call me into the meeting? Am I being fired? It's the weirdest thing. It's like we just have so little confidence in our calling. Now, now listen, our confidence doesn't even have to be in our calling. It's in our gods. 
If he's called us, he'll open a way. He'll make a way for us to go through it. And if there's a Jezebel, he'll, he can do the same thing he did to the 450 bells. Now, now I'm gonna, I want to lead into the second point because it sort of follows on this, which is write this down. So the first one, not every message you hear is a message to be received. But here's the second one because I think some of what happened here is, is what Elijah was suffering from. And it's number two, the hardest lesson you will learn here it is. What's the hardest lesson that in 2019 we will learn? Uh, to my opinion, not, I'm not saying, like I'm sure somebody might disagree who has written books about this, but listen to this. This, this is going to be good. <laughs> okay, here it is. Here it is. Is embracing the results that you see as opposed to seeing the results that you want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about success for a minute, all right? The hardest lesson you will learn is embracing the results that you see as opposed to seeing the results that you want. Let me explain. Because they're like, you're speaking like a Lebanese now. A little. God has done above and beyond in here in this chapter than Elijah could ever think or imagine. Ephesians 3.20 applies to 1 Kings 17 and 18. Would everybody agree? I mean, the guy dies where he's staying besides the widow he besides the raven I mean think about all of these steps he dies he gets up in the room he lays on the guy he prays over him he wakes up from the dead then he shows up takes on an entire culture imagine it and God brings down fire on a wet altar by the way I'm teaching on this passage Saturday morning the 18 which is an awesome passage but but just to give you sort of that background and so 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 there's can somebody look at this and be like I think I see results here now, 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 what is the result that did not happen? Ahab and Jezebel have still not repented. They are still wicked and they're still alive. So yeah, the fire came down and burned the bells, but so there's this much results, like mountains of results that God has done, right? But the thing that Elijah was maybe hoping for was what? He wanted to see what? The evil king dead or at least shut up or at least re-elected with someone else whatever your politics are here are in Michigan I don't even know what your politics are <laughs> nobody knows anymore and we're not gonna talk about it <laughs> don't we all do that God answers and answers and answers and does, and does, and does, and gives, and gives, and gives. And in a moment, everything he's done fades into oblivion because the one thing that you want, and you go, man, I, I don't know if God is trustworthy. I don't see any results here. I don't even know why I'm in this business. Everybody else is getting the results I want. And it, there's an oblivion to all that God has done because the results that you want haven't happened. And you seem to forget in that moment all the results that God has given you. When we don't see the results we expect, we miss all we already have. This happens over and over and over again in scripture where you see the people of God tonight. I'm going to teach on Exodus. You see this happen over and over again where God has done so, so much. But all we can think of is those one or two items. Usually it's 
I see it, I'll pick on singles. They'll have a thriving career. They'll have a family that supports them. They'll have a church that loves on them. They'll have a home to live in. That is not, here we take it for granted. I spend time in places, single people don't have the luxuries that we do here. Some of you may be single here. And they'll come up to me after a service and it will, they'll raise hands and then come up and, and be like, oh, God is doing so much in my life. But I can't believe I'm still single. And I'm like, didn't I see you just walk up and, 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 and like give your life to the Lord again? And they can't see it. But it's not just about them. You have your dreams. I have my dreams. God has answered so much. So there's a Jezebel still around. You're going to see in a minute how the story ends. It's going to blow your mind. When we don't see the results we expect, we assume God is not in it. And here's the third thing. When we don't see the results we expect, we often choose to escape. I really believe this is now where many of us are seeing failure in leadership. I, I, many of the stories that I hear of leaders who have left the church or fallen into deep sin, I, I, I really believe at the root of it is this Misunderstanding of success. We think success is in growth, more numbers, more sales, in ministry. If you're in ministry, maybe you have a dream to write books because we've been told that those are the size of a successful ministry. You write books, then you get asked to speak at other churches, then you have a round table, which leads to more events, which leads to more people, which leads to more conversions, which leads to more baptisms. So you get on Twitter and you brag about how many baptisms happened at your church. What in the world does it matter what we see on this side of it? God is the one who's doing it. God is the one who, we're going to go to heaven and spend probably a decade hearing about how God used little old us and people that we've never met because of someone who told someone who told someone and on and on and on. We know that six degree of separation is going to be like 6,000 degrees of separation in heaven. But when it doesn't happen, and we forget the mountain of goodness and we focus on the Jezebel, we escape. For some of you, it's, I'm not doing this ministry anymore and you quit. That's one form of escape. For my and the younger generation, it's, I'm going to find a Netflix show and for the next two weeks, don't anybody talk to me. I am going to catch up on this and numb my brain to oblivion. For others of you, it's good things, exercise. And so you sign on to this new exercise program and you're like, I'm not going to think about it. Just put in your headphones. And, Is exercise bad? No, but when you're doing it because you're mad at your Jezebel. Was it wrong for Elijah to take a 40-day break? What if Elijah was like, man, I'm so tired. What if he found Obadiah or whoever was around him, some of the other Christians? He didn't know there were other Christians because why? Because he isolated himself. But instead, what if he said, man, I need some time off. I'm going to take a hiatus. I need a month. 40 days, is that okay with everyone? Like, you know, Ahab, Jezebel, okay, I know you're mad, but I'm just gonna go on vacation. I just came back from Florida. I was like, where'd you get your tent? Florida. I'm just gonna go to Florida for a week. You know, I put it on, I hesitated because now we think about everything. I put a picture that I was in Florida and everyone was so happy for me. They were like, you take a break. And I didn't tell them, like, I work in the mornings from Florida, but I didn't want to burst their bubble because they, like, thought, oh, yeah, yeah, Lena's not like this workaholic. She's in Florida on vacation. Granted, I can see patients from the beach, so praise God for that. I love, I love Steve Jobs, really, is who to thank for. There are many other people, but, but, 
But there, nothing wrong with taking a vacation or watching a Netflix. The problem is when we do it to numb ourselves. And so it starts with that, but then it might be another Netflix show. And if you know anything about Netflix, it doesn't take long before you make your pit stop to something else that might be considered escapist and on and on and you go on and on down the list. And next thing you know, you're having a threesome as a pastor in Chicago just happened. And you get fired for it. And you go, how did this happen? I don't know where the escapist behavior changes in leadership that you go from being a God anointed, ordained man or woman of God who's walking humbly to all of a sudden we hear about it. What? Or a deconstruction of faith now. Don't believe it anymore. Really? Maybe the pressure was too much. Maybe the emails got too many. Maybe instead of filling up, we're going to get to that in a minute. You just fill up on things that do not satisfy. And so next thing you know, you're a statistic. Oh, it entertains the rest of us to read them. And we wonder, how could that happen? That would never happen to me. Really? Because what are your patterns like? When things go awry in your life, when you don't get what you want, where do you escape to fill up? And so point number three, lesson number three, isolating yourself from others, isolating yourself from others is the surest way to end up in discouragement and despair. Part of that escapist behavior is this. So much has been, is being talked about right now. I'll repeat it in a second. So much has been talked about in terms of leadership accountability. The more indulged in leadership you become, the less accountability is set up. We become isolated. We don't think we are because we show up every Sunday or every Friday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever your ministries are, and there's a plenty of people around you. But if you think this here has fed my soul, you are wrong. It has encouraged me. Who doesn't like to share and live in their giftedness but have I been have you called me out on anything no I has have you encouraged me in any personal way in the things that I heard no can you try to read between the lines and figure out where my sin areas are good luck I mean there's so many sit down take a week and write down read my books I write about them but what encourages us community is sitting down with someone is calling them on the phone and say man there's a problem we need to talk about this and the person looking at you and going yes there is And it's awful and it's great. And, 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 and you either fight it and say, heck with you. We quit. Or you humble yourself and you take a good look inside and you go, yeah, there's some truth here. That's community. That, that's what the table, this round tables are meant to be about moving forward. It's hard as a person in leadership to find safe people. I get it. And, that, and by the way, that is such an excuse that I've heard from people who have no accountability. It's not safe. Really? Last I checked, there's at least two or three people in this world who are still safe in my life. Like if that becomes my line, like I just don't want to listen. That is code for I don't care what you have to say. All right, because, because there's inevitably Christians who are safe in your circles. And if you don't have them, then you need to, before you leave, find yourself two or three people and be like, I need a round table. And you build that safe community. 
You know when it's not safe? It's when you have something to hide and you're worried about being pointed out. And you might hide for a week, a month, a year, but what I'm seeing is that God will not have that. And so why I believe there's so much now exposition of sin in the church, it is a grace of God. It is a grace of God that is unveiling these hidden areas because God wants his church pure. It doesn't mean we're all pure. We all know we struggle with sin. Every one of us, some of us, it's anger. Other times it's gossip. Other times it's overeating. Other times it's over sex. You go on and on over spending. There's so many areas of impulsivity where we do it because we want to feel better because the things that we want are not happening. Like, I get that. God isn't saying only perfect people here. What God is saying is you are meant to change. And so you don't leave your person like Elijah, Elijah did. Elijah in verse uh, uh, 3, he was afraid. He arose, ran for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So now he is literally painted the best. Like if you are going to be an expert on how to build a self-pity pit, he did it. All right, he finds not a beautiful, like, okay, all right, go to Florida, find yourself a nice, like, palm tree, be like, get yourself a lawn chair and sit. No, no, he finds the ugliest tree of them all, the, the bramble. And he's just like, 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 you can feel his, like, I'm so, like, this is so bad. Dude, you just prayed over a guy who rose from the dead. You just prayed and God said, fire from heaven and and he makes himself a little cocoon he gets a little rock he doesn't even have energy to make a fire he's like I'm not eating I'm not drinking I'm just gonna lie here and die do you know what's awesome about this story is that that's where the spirit of God found him and he makes him a cake and he feeds him and he gives him a 40-day break God, I believe he's so sensitive to our need. I, I really think that as long as we think, well, I'm not going to come clean because God's going to just smack me on the head if I come clean. And then I'm going to have to stand in front of the church and tell everybody about it. And, and then my ministry, and then the people are going to be wounded. And, oh, no, this is so hard. And I, God, it's not going to use me then for the next 30 years. I'm going to have to suffer as an usher or a greeter or parking and like and like so we've created these scenarios where we don't want to come clean because of fear right and so and we miss this tender compassionate love of God that knows we're not hiding from him he even sees when we isolate ourselves right and and he just comes to him this guy who can't hold himself up anymore and and God has them under his palm of his hand It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. This is awesome stuff for leaders. Do you, do you see it? Having an accountability group is not like going on parole. Like we, just, we have these ideas of like, what's about, oh, I need an accountability group. And this is like, we just think this is so bad. It's, it's meant to help us. You know, so many of you, same thing that happened to me probably happens to you. I remember I was in a church years ago, six years ago, and, and it took me a while to feel comfortable in a small group. And I remember finally after two years, these were some of my best friends, but it just, I just, there were some things about my life. I honestly, I had carried that shame. Like, I don't want to bring this up. And finally, after about two years of prayer, and I, and I was just like, I wanted, you ever feel like, I want to confess something, so I just don't know to who. And if you're single, I think you feel that even more, because you know yourself. And so I remember finally finding the audacity to sit with my small group leader and 
look her in the eye and saying, I have, and it took me, I remember it was like, went through the appetizers, went through the meal, and now we're like coming to dessert, and I'm like, I can't drag this out anymore, and like I, you know, blurp out whatever I needed to confess, and, and, and not that she would forgive me, I was already forgiven, I just wanted accountability, and literally like two months after that, I leave the church. And it turns into the six-year saga of like us against them and then, you know, how that goes. And see how Satan lies and whispers. You go, I can't trust anybody anymore. And, and now you justify, well, I tried to have an accountability partner, but I don't need one because look what happened. And if she cared about me, she would have called me and checked up on me. And you're talking about accountability, like, pff, show me a verse in scripture that says thou shalt have accountability. Don't let your past bad experience ruin the richness of fellowship and community with brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes it looks like God showing up and feeding you when you are under a pity party tree or an email from someone who says, come with us to Jordan. And, and little by little, you build yourself back in trusting others. Jesus didn't always trust everybody. I mean, he held them with that verse in Mark that talks about Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. So he didn't, you know, he, he, he knew what to expect from us. But Peter, but Jesus also had Peter, James, and John. He had fellowship, intimate fellowship. When he hurt, he sat with them. They weren't perfect because they weren't Jesus, but they sat together and they talked together and, and he called them out on there. It's all about intimacy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a holiness to closeness. You don't need 50 people to be close with. You need one or two. But you need community. We desperately need honest accountability. I, I, I think like never before, I'll bring this up right now. I mean, again, felt compelled by the spirit, but I think same-sex attraction has become rampant in our culture. I believe it's rampant in the church. I believe it's a lot of brokenness in marriages where you just don't feel connected to, to your husbands and and then you form relationships again. The why two or three? Well, three is a nice number because it sort of protects. There's always, just Satan is waiting to put these bombs of sin all over the place. I see it like never before, this confusion of relationship and sexes and who can I talk to? And it used to be you don't want to go talk to a man alone, but now you develop these female relationships and they can become really sinful. And so where do you draw these lines? Look, because of that, so many of us are like, well, I'm just going to stay alone. I won't talk to anyone. I'll just, you know, some of you are in a, in a blessed and a great marriages. God bless and protect those marriages. That's the ideal. But be careful. And, and if that's your thing, there's safe people. Like we, we're going to be ministering to others tonight and tomorrow. But, but who ministers to you? When you're carrying a burden and a sin that's so shameful to you that you think, I can't, I just, if I've told them, Yesterday, John Chris' story, I mean, that's public knowledge now, but like who didn't read that and go, how? And it was like, well, they've known for years. I didn't know. It, it happened for years. And so how many of us here have sin patterns that have been going on and on and on? And it just makes you sick. I know it does because you're Christians and you're in leadership still. You're here. You're not, you're not out at the nightclub at noon on Friday, not that anybody would be, but you're not, you know, you're not out doing shots. I mean, you're here. You're here. Which says to me, you're still, at least there's a facade of I'm, I'm still a women's ministry person. And so, yet how many here are carrying that? 
and, and you long to be free of it. What's keeping you from it? Here's the next, and I think probably the biggest point, and the last one is a quick point. There's five lessons. Here's the, the fourth. No amount of working with God or working for God, no amount, of, by the way, let me, let me slow down. Let me read you to point three. Some of you over here were still writing. Isolating yourself from others is the surest way to end up in discouragement and despair. All right. And when you're in discouragement and despair, you end up in sinful lifestyles. That's, that's just fact. Now, number four, or uh, yeah, I'm not going to say more about that because I want to give you number four. So, all right. If you need the notes at the end, come take a picture of them. By the way, that's another. All right. Number four, no amount of working for God will ever replace your desperate need to be with God. That is a cancer for people in ministry. We become addicted to perform and to give God and to show God just how good we are at serving Him. And the more we do, the more we want to do. And the more we want to do, the more we... And it on and on and on and on and on. And at the end of the day, the healing balm for Elijah was getting quiet enough to hear the whisper of God. It took him 40 days to get there. We give God 40 seconds on any average moment, and if we're being honest, those 40 seconds are interrupted every time we get a ding on our phone. You wonder why you're not on fire like you used to be, because you're not spending time with God like you used to do. There is something unique that happens when you sit quietly, when your heart quiets. I need 40 minutes to my heart to quiet down. I'm thank God I'm single. I don't know how I would be functional without it. But we cannot continue to do, 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 do for God without learning to be with God and fighting for it and making time for it. It astounds me how often we say, man, I, I can't do it. I don't have time for it. You make time for what matters. Have you, do you know anyone who does Orange Theory? You don't need to raise hands. They're like, I, I had dinner with one of my closest friends in Chicago recently. She's a new convert. Man, I felt like she was like, 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 like leading me into the prayer of salvation. Like, like, like you need to go to Orange Theory because it's good for your soul. And you need to, because you're a sinner and you're fat and you need, no, she didn't say that. But, but I felt like by the end, I was like, where do I sign? What do I do? Like, okay, I repent, I repent, I'm going. And the next day she sends me a follow-up. Like, here's the link to the place to go. I'm like, how do you make it work? She's like, it takes me an hour every day. I do, I build my day around it. And she loves Jesus and she can do multiple things. I'm not saying you don't have to exercise, but I'm just saying, you make time for what you need and want in your life. And if you are dry, it's because you have not spent as much time with God. There is no secret formula. No message will change your life. Only time will God will. You spend 20 minutes here and you feel a little bit enriched. Great, but what are you going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day? Preparing Bible study is not the same. Planning an event is not the same as sitting before God and listening and talking. You read your Bible and you pray. My five-year-old nephew understands it. We all understand it, but we complicate it. We think, but, but you don't understand how it works in my home. I, but you... If, if, let me be so bold as to say, and I think you're all, if your work for God has made it impossible to spend time with God, quit your work for God for a season. 
I, I, I mean it, I mean it. You will suffer. I'm not saying it to make you feel bad about it. I, you will suffer. If you don't feel healthy because you're not spending time with God and you're like, I don't hear God anymore. Do whatever, do whatever. Do not walk out of here before you. I, I cannot do this right now. I got toddlers. I got a husband. I got the in-laws. I didn't expect it to be. Just take a season away. You cannot afford spiritually or you will be a casualty. You might not be in a threesome, but there will be pain in your life. There will be dryness in your life. Quit it. Do what you need to. God will in his grace do things in your life to give you that. Like he throws us a rope. Like I find in my life, sometimes I'll go through seasons where like I won't get as many invitations to do something. And at first I'm like miffed, like what's happening? Do people not like me? You know, then I get out her note and I'm like, no, one person liked me back in 1980. I'm good. You know, and, and, but, but, but the truth of it, what is happening here? God is saying, okay, okay, you need a little time. And so just say thank you. Build your day around that precious, precious time with God. It, it doesn't have to look, in fact, I hope it doesn't look the same exactly today as it did 20 years ago because you've changed. But spend time with Jesus every day or you are not going to make it. And lastly, last lesson, I'm sorry, we're past that 12. This is easy. One chapter in your story does not make your whole story. One chapter is not the whole. One chapter is not the whole. So Elijah has a bad chapter. We serve a God of redemption, of love, of hope. He is after us. We're not Christians because we chase after God. We're Christians because he has chased after us. We're not here serving because we've been so good and successful and we knew the Bible more than others. No, we're here because God in his grace has allowed us to do this. He loves us. He wants us. You cannot hear that enough. He loves not just the world. This is something I'm going to talk more about tonight. He loves you and you and you. Like he I, don't, like I don't understand it, but, but I receive it and I want to receive it more and so here's Elijah who gets pulled out of the pit and literally is thrown right back into the ministry but now healthy so that by the time you get this is awesome and I'm going to finish here second Kings chapter one listen to how the story starts by the way so now we're a few years later chapter second Corinthians 1 1 it says after the death of guess who not Jezebel but close of Ahab <laughs> Thinking Ahab dies. The guy that freaked him out back in chapter 19 and put him in a tailspin so he had a bad chapter. Now he's in the end of his life. It's a couple chapters before the end. Ahab is now dead. And, and, and what's up with, with Elijah? Well, guess what? Ahaziah falls through the lattice in the upper chamber in Samaria. He lays sick. He sends messengers to go after Baal. And God, it says, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, who's now in a new chapter, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there's no God in Israel that you are getting to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? And what follows is an awesome story of God sending fire from heaven to kill the same sort of thing in small scale. God is using Elijah magnificently. Elijah's not sitting under a broom tree anymore. He's not broken anymore. He's not wondering what is going to happen to me anymore. Ahab is dead and God is alive. Elijah doesn't die. He gets taken up in a chariot. One of two people who didn't die, Moses is, well, Enoch, but Moses 
We don't know what happened to him. He died, but later on, prophetically, Elijah and Moses are going to become I mean, There's The story of Elijah continues. Do you understand? Like when Jesus comes back, Elijah's going to have a play in that later. And I don't want to get into end times stuff. You can go to Libby for that stuff. She's the expert on that. But the point of it is, the point of it is, Elijah's story had one bad chapter. Some of you are so convinced that because of that one chapter, it's over. Do you know that very few chapters in the Bible have ministered to me like 1 Kings 19? How many of us can read that book, that chapter and say, man, the whisper in the cave. Millions of people over the earth. Strengthened because of that one bad chapter. But God forbid not the end of his story. No, nowhere near. We, we, here, here's the greatest grace and I'll finish. We don't get to write our stories. Isn't that a grace? Where would we be if we were writing our own stories? But God, he knows the end of your story. And the same God who held on to Elijah in the darkest season of his life has his hand on you today. Isn't that a God we long to be with? And when you put it this way, I think, man, I, I just want to take the afternoon off and be with him. What's standing in the way of that in your life? And so God, as we close now, we ask your spirit to convict specifically. Although so many things were brought up here. Father, I pray for these women, guard them protect them, restore those who need restoring, free them, and use them magnificently in your church. God, I, I ask that you would anoint them afresh, that you would help them to walk out with a fresh vision and focus as to their calling. I ask that you would undergird them, that you would go before them, that you would to hedge them from behind and before. Father, that you would give them a fresh fervor for you, Lord, and that you would use them afresh in their own churches. I pray for these churches. Thank you for the unity here this morning. Father, please use us to revive this city and this state and this country. Father, we need revival. And so as we come back tonight, we ask you from the bottom of our hearts to do in us what we cannot even imagine for the glory of Jesus, in whose name I pray.